Hey everyone, this is Sarah Whaler, host of Interrelate. In episode 9, I'll be talking to Minji Wong, career coach and the founder of At Her Best, a practice dedicated to empowering leaders to thrive in their careers. Minji has 13 years of Fortune 500 experience, including working in organizational development at Facebook, eBay, and Walmart, empowering leaders to realize their full potential. Listen on as Minji and I talk about how to recognize and manage emotions in the workplace and beyond, how to communicate more effectively with others, and Minji's most powerful career advice for work-life balance. Um, so Minji, you're the founder of At Her Best, a practice dedicated to coaching leaders and companies to become better at what they do. Prior to starting this this consulting firm, you or practice, I should say, you work for Fortune 500 companies like Facebook, eBay, and Walmart, focusing on organizational development. What inspired you to want to start your own company, go off on your own, and, and to kind of specialize in helping individuals and companies? Yeah, so I've spent about 13 years working in the world of leadership, learning, and organizational development. And what I really loved about that was um, just in general, in my personal life, I totally geek out around continuous improvement, just trying to be at my best. And so why not get paid full time to, to do right. something that you really love and be able to support people and empower people at the workplace? Sure. A big life change happened to me, and what that, when that started was when I had my first child, Miles, mm -hmm. and he's almost seven years old now, mm. um, and along with my second child, her name is Ella, who is three years old. Yeah. What I learned during this process, and it was quite a big and traumatic process, was the movement and transition from being a highly ambitious, uh, just career-focused woman right. to now the split identity of a parent, mm -hmm. uh, of a parent who may not have been around little humans <laughs> before. Right. right. Uh, and, and not only that, but this working parent was, was a big shift and, and a big paradigm shift in terms of who I am, mm -hmm. uh, where my drive is, and how I could actually apply myself in a totally new way and as a new role as a working mm -hmm. parent. And so I just remember having a conversation with my husband about, you know, there's a whole lot of resources out there around why you're a terrible parent and what you should be doing and what you're not already doing. Right. Uh, but very little, very little resources and support around self-care mm -hmm. and the focus on the actual parent in terms of really managing this entire uh, storm of a transition. And just so you know, I, I'm sure there are a lot of parents out there that have made that transition seamlessly. Uh, but there are also many, many parents who are probably roughing it right now and experiencing right. a lot of turmoil in terms of their transition. And that is the group that I'm focused on. So yeah. in, in short, really what I wanted to do was be able to focus on a subset, subgroup of people who have always been very ambitious and who have always been very career-focused and, and mm. personal development-focused and be able to support them so that they could be at their best. Okay. So six years after this idea, uh, it is now real. It's been a grand experiment, uh, and uh, it's scaling. So that's where I'm right. at. Yeah, that's so awesome. I think it is such a good area to be focusing on working parents. Do you, what's kind of the breakdown? Do you have more 
female clients as opposed to male, or is there a split? Like, what? Who, who's reaching out to you typically for help? Yeah, so this is my first year now, mm-hmm. uh, anniversary, and so yeah, it's still. Thank you. It's. I would say it's still a grand experiment. So mm-hmm. right now, uh, I would say the breakdown is about seventy percent corporate work, and so what right. that is is just working with with both men and women in the workplace, many of which are emerging leaders. So mm-hmm. imagine a millennial uh, potential Gen Xer who is uh, high in their performance and high octane and, and really want to know what, what they can do to get to that next level. Mm-hmm. Uh, 30% of my clientele are private clients. So cool. uh, these are typically working parents, people who are experiencing burnout, People mm-hmm. who are experiencing work-life uh, challenges, right. uh, people who are experiencing an identity shift, and and still want to be able to figure it all out uh, and For weather sure. the storm. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, so I was recently in a seminar that you led um, where we talked a lot about self-awareness in the workplace. Um, can we dive a little bit deeper into from your from your perspective, how self, how important self-awareness and kind of self-management with respect to emotions, how important they are in the workplace? Oh, absolutely. And and so the topic and the theme that we had covered was around emotional intelligence. And so right. the four different areas that we had focused on was around self-awareness, which is the paramount in many ways, the core of of being successful. And and really, it's understanding yourself. It's understanding your strengths. It's also understanding your limitations. It's understanding your energy and really how you show up as accurately and as real as possible. Mm-hmm. The real being, it may not be pretty most right. of the time. Right. Uh, and so in order to even progress and, and really become successful, you have to be completely open and honest about who you are, your strengths mm-hmm. and limitations, mm-hmm. and then be able to manage those, manage right. to those. For sure. Uh, and so, you know, the third and fourth piece around uh, being able to be very effective then is now that you're aware of who you are and, right. and your strengths and, and your limitations and, and can manage through, how can you blend it in with, with the people whom you work around and, and your entire ecosystem of exactly. colleagues? They could be cross-functional partners. They could right. be your your teammates. They right. could be your managers. Mm-hmm. They could be uh, stakeholders as well. And so imagine the importance of empathy and, and the importance mm-hmm. of really developing trust as authentically as possible and as true to yourself in ways that you can actually work and, and really, really connect with others. Right, right. I think it's so interesting, at least my takeaway from that seminar, certainly self-awareness is something I think about a lot, but it was the management, kind of the management of emotions, which is kind of the next level of self-awareness, is realizing how how we feel, the jealousy, the anger, the sadness, the fear, all of that, but then managing those emotions, which is kind of the second tier. Um, what, you know, obviously we all experience a range of emotions in the workplace and beyond, but how, what are some tips? Um, or ways that people can better manage emotions in the face of certain triggers for healthier connections with others in the workplace and at home? Yeah, I think the first piece is to be able to recognize it. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's 
that sensation, right? It could be right. the, the sensation of joy. It could be pain. It could be suffering. It could be jealousy and anger. And these are all human emotions, right? So right. we can't deny it. It's, it's, it's what happens in many ways so immediately and unconsciously when, when we experience it. Uh, but most of us actually don't realize when it's happening and, and we act it out. Mm-hmm. So I would say that my first recommendation is for you to be able to identify these triggers. Right. Right. And right. part of it could literally be at the end of the day, maybe spending about five minutes and just writing in a journal when you mm-hmm. might have felt sensations. And when I mean sensations, it could be those unpleasant sensations that you probably experience at, 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 in your personal life or in the workplace. Right. And be able to identify those trigger points in terms of when when things happen to you. Mm-hmm. I think the second thing is to recognize that it's okay for us to be able to feel the ways that we mm. do. That's what makes right. us human. True. So not to deny it at mm. all, but to be able to harness it and live with it. Right. And in many ways, if you were to contain it in a mason jar, just right. literally placing that experience and sensation in that mason jar, putting it to the side, and then counteracting with a ritual or with mm. something that you would probably do in advance. Mm. So, for example, uh, let's just say you know, something happened in the workplace with colleagues, and the first thing that you feel is anger, right? Mm. Right. So instead of rejecting it or instead of denying that you actually feel the way you do, over the course of a week, journal and jot mm-hmm. down when you might have experienced these feelings of anger and, and mm-hmm. get as close as you can to the situation. What was it? Was it when right. you felt like you weren't heard? Was yeah. it felt like your needs weren't met? Was mm-hmm. it felt as if you were uh, ignored or possibly overlooked? Right. And if so, what are some proactive rituals or tactics, mm-hmm. or small mini actions you can take to be able to overcome that feeling of anger. So what are the small, small things that you could do? It could be taking a deep breath, for example. Mm -hmm. That's huge. Mm -hmm. Right. It could be uh, perhaps an affirmation, Mm. you know, a small little quote that you actually use when, when you're triggered. Right. Uh, And so, so with that said, you know, affirmations are, are key and important. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. with a lot of my private coaching clients, one of the activities that we do is to actually create our own vision statements, our own personal vision statements that are completely customized and tailored to to what we're trying to work on. Right. And and create very very personalized uh, mm. affirmations that we that we remember and that we that we reflect on first thing in the morning and last mm. thing in the evening. Mm-hmm. in terms of ways to be able to overcome and then ways to actually drive towards where we want to to be. Right. I love that. It's so powerful, too, having that vision, writing it down, and then kind of putting forth that energy, I think, is the way to make your vision happen, to be aware of it and to bring it to life. Um, A yeah. few points on that as well. Yeah. I think as succinct as you can get mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. creating a vision statement, mm-hmm. the better Okay. Uh, so, so as you create one for yourself, just always think about, you know, so one year from now, not even that, it just seems mm. so far away, six months mm-hmm. from now, mm. like, where are you? Who are you? What yeah, are you well, achieving? What are you right. doing? How are you showing up? 
how are you how are you contributing to the world and with that said as you write your vision statement get as succinct as possible and write in the present tense so instead mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. i will be doing this right right i am despite, i mm-hmm. am doing this exactly yeah. yeah that's powerful for sure um what are two one or two areas of struggle that your clients face typically is there a common are there common areas of struggle whether it's confidence or work-life balance or kind of realizing their vision um yeah what are the, what what are the typical areas that that people struggle with that you see yeah so i see reoccurring themes that mm. that typically happen with my private clients and so two of them that come up to mind, typically one is a symptom. So I am on the verge of being promoted to a senior leader, or Mm -hmm. I have now just been promoted to a senior leader, and I'm realizing that this is what I need to get ahead. And Mm -hmm. so in many ways, it's it's literally that scratch, right? It's like, here's this itch, just scratch it for me, let's let's Mm -hmm. like figure it out. The reality is that these are symptoms to grander and Mm -hmm. deeper core issues. Mm -hmm. And the type of coaching that I focus on is integral coaching. So it's not Mm -hmm. just strategy in my head and cognitive thinking, but it's also alignment with my heart. What does my heart feel? Mm -hmm. How does my gut feel? It's the somatics piece, too, in my entire ecosystem and and my environment. How do I show up? And is the way I show up true and genuine and, and authentic to my way of being? Mm-hmm. How do my relationships influence uh, how I right. show up? How does right. my systems and technology and, and even just how I interact uh, with the world uh, influence who I be? And right. so, so I bring this up because when working with clients, it's typically, hey, these are the things that I'm lacking or this is what I've been mm-hmm. told I need to do. And the reality is we all are unique and we have different gifts. So I think the right. biggest thing is to recognize, again, your strengths, who you are right. and what makes you so unique to you. And part of this goes back to our conversation around self-awareness, which is also mm-hmm. the limitations as well. And what right. we do to actually you know, drive ahead, you know, given given uh, who we are and, and what makes us unique. I think the second piece is around boundary setting. So mm-hmm. a, big, a big piece in working with high-octane, high-performing individuals is that uh, it's go go go. So For sure. It's it's what's next? How can I achieve more? How can I mm-hmm. become more? And how can I really live in in this world of performativity? Right. And so you know the the term performativity is literally just around uh, judging and being judged mm-hmm. by your ROI and literally right. just the worth that that you might provide from a corporate perspective. And that just becomes right. so much of a turnoff that it's something that we've all become so used to. Mm-hmm. We we are literally uh judged by our performance. I mean right. every six months, maybe even mm-hmm. every quarter, even every year, we're evaluated by our output and our right. ROI and what we've what we've done. And the sad reality is we're judged by that, and therefore we think that that is the value that we provide. And the reality right. is it may not necessarily be that way. So yeah. really, really working through boundary setting and understanding what's most important for the client and being able to create a very realistic plan 
So boundaries could be around technology, right? We are, we are literally connected 24-7. If there's more than 24-7, that would be where I would live. Exactly. And exactly. Yeah. And so, so knowing that, what can we do to be able to, to create, uh, more boundaries around other important parts mm-hmm. of our life that, mm-hmm. that matter? So that could be right. family. That could be friends. It could be our personal hobbies. It could be life yeah. outside of work. Right. And, and what can we do to actually, um, uh, to keep it sacred? Exactly. And so what, what would be an example of asking for a boundary or creating a boundary with your boss or your manager? How would that, how could that conversation go? Yeah. So a few things. Uh, one of my clients has a manager who, uh, typically emails throughout the day. And so mm-hmm. what that could look like is on a Sunday evening, which many of you could probably relate to, maybe 9, or, 9 o'clock or 10 p.m. at night, right. hey, I'm presenting at the staff meeting tomorrow morning. Can mm-hmm. you create this deck or can you right. send me this? Uh, which for many of us, probably our heart would be up at our throat, you know, or for we'd sure. have this like sinking pit of a feeling mm-hmm. right. where we just want to like run or, or hide. Yeah. And, and this would happen over and over again, um, mm. throughout the week, in the evenings, on weekends, mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. So I think one way to counteract that, first of all, is, is that document when things happen, right? Mm-hmm. So, right. It's, it's important for us. Sure, we can feel these sensations and experience, you know, when we have anger in this case. Mm-hmm. I think an important piece is, is being able to document uh, right. so that you can always find a time when both you and your manager in this case are less stressed mm-hmm. and you can literally have a neutral conversation, which I would recommend not right. occur during the stress of a work day sure. or even in the work environment. Literally take mm-hmm. this person on a walk or a coffee mm-hmm. break mm-hmm. and find yeah. Thursday. So just so you know, Thursdays are the best days to, to get to yes. Okay. Or that's typically when people are in better mood. Okay, that's good. That's good uh, yeah, so even time of the day or even mm. time of the week and, and literally just have a conversation with your manager and state where you both agree. Right. So where you both agree is being able to thrive in an environment where you can support each other and be able to get stuff done. For sure. And yeah. The second piece is then to share your concern based on facts. So it's not mm-hmm. your feelings, but facts on, hey, on Sunday evening at 10 o'clock and the subsequent three weeks, you know, on Wednesday at 5 a.m. or 7 p.m. this happens, really just share it in as neutral and as non-confrontational as manner as possible. Mm-hmm. And the purpose of that is important. It's for you. It, it's very important for you to, first of all, start with the end in mind, and and be able to identify why are you having this conversation with your manager. So for many people who have kids, right, they have right. to leave the workplace a little earlier to be able mm-hmm. to pick up their kids and sure. begin their second shift. The second shift literally being a parent once exactly. you leave work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, really, really pick your battles and, and ask yourself, what are you trying to accomplish? Is it so that you can actually spend time with your family and be able to become a more productive person when, you know, when, when the kids are, are back at sleep? Um, and, and, you know, going from there, it's very, very important for you to be able to articulate what, 
what you believe in and be able to bridge that gap. Mm -hmm. So, for example, for me, my personal time is between 5.30 and 8.30. Mm -hmm. And while I do have my technology and while I do have mobile connected with with me at all times, I try my best not to check my emails or even check my phone because it's Mm -hmm. a sacred time. Yeah. Immediately after I put the kids to sleep, that's where I hop on my laptop and have mm-hmm. hop on my my mobile to, mm-hmm. to get stuff done. Hmm. So even just really establishing your personal boundaries and just right. letting your and communicating that as realistically yeah. as possible, right. um, you're actually managing that because that right. person may not necessarily know that this is very important to you. Right. And until you stand your ground and until you can also show and demonstrate that you can get stuff done during other parts of the week and, and of, of the week and day, um, no one would ever know. Mm-hmm. For sure. No, that's a really good point. So in addition to those kind of more challenging conversations and setting boundaries, um, obviously much of communication is nonverbal. They say that 93% of communication with other people is, is nonverbal. So say you're setting boundaries, you're managing up, you're having those difficult conversations with colleagues as necessary or people in your life. What would you say are some nonverbal ways to communicate um, that are more effective than other, other ways of communicating? Yeah, I think the first piece to, to recognize is just in the eyes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there there is that really cool uh, stat around how 93% of, of all communication is nonverbal. 55% mm-hmm. literally is, is just our body language. And mm-hmm. the bulk of that is around our eyes. Mm-hmm. I love this quote, and I just wanted to share it. Since yeah. we cannot change reality, let us change the eyes in which we see reality. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. And I think that's so important in terms of so many friends, right? right. So... The first piece is when you engage in any dialogue or conversation to really approach it as open and as neutral as possible. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and literally with curiosity. So right. not with here is, no, I'm, I'm here just so that I can state my point of view or so that I can argue with you, but literally with curiosity and mm-hmm. openness. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to agree with what right. the other person is saying, but what it means is that you're willing and open to, to just listening and taking that person in without exactly. any additional point of view. Mm-hmm. So, and prejudgment. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's that's really hard. So I think the mm. challenge to many people is when, when you do engage in a conversation that you'll likely maybe have um, some conflicting points of view or where... Mm-hmm potential energy is charged, I would challenge you to to really come in without a point of view and without right. without having a prejudgment or mm-hmm. with something to say so that you can literally right. take in that person. Sure. I think physically, in terms of our body and our body language, again, the eyes say so much. So mm-hmm. let's just say you're biting your tongue and let's just right. say, you know, you're trying your hardest to try option one. I think the second piece is to really just relax Relax your body. Right. And that goes to breathing techniques. One of my uh, rituals that I've recently adopted is, is a very simple activity and exercise. It doesn't involve any app. It doesn't involve any instrument. It's, it's literally sitting. Mm-hmm. And it's a form of meditation. It literally is 
you know, having your feet planted to the ground, 90, 90 degree angle, sitting probably at the edge of your chair with, you know, straight back, you're not slouched, and just a gentle gaze where, you know, you're, where you can do this at your desk or even if you, right. if you, uh, have a conference room that you could reserve for maybe five minutes, clearing your mind and just taking some deep, deep breaths right. and, and not thinking about what's ahead or what's behind, but just literally clearing your mind so that you can actually create an open space to take in other people and to take in other conversations. Right. And when you do this, you'd be so surprised how something as small as five minutes can literally relax your body. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but for the most part, all of us live in a frenetic world of stress. Oh, for I'm sure. I'm not about Constant. to say, mm-hmm. right? No. Uh, And so if this is our reality Mm -hmm. and it's not going to be a a spa-like environment or or like a Zen environment, (laughs) what can we do, right? What can we do to mitigate that? On our end, exactly. Exactly. So it it could just be a five-minute sitting ritual in -hmm. which before you you engage in any dialogue or in something that you might realize that stakes might be high, you can clear your mind. And you can clear your head so that you can actually open space for other people. Right. It's kind of like a, a reset or a preset, really maybe a preset before you're about to engage in this challenging conversation or goal setting, whatever it may be, to kind of prepare um, and just reset the button. Um, yeah, that's that's a great piece of advice. With respect to other forms of the nonverbal communication, you know, what how should we hold our arms? How should, like, what are some tips for kind of the eyes? You say that that's important, but is it, like, is there a particular gaze that should be made? Or, you know, obviously it's, you know, you don't want to look someone too too intently in the eyes, or maybe you do, but what are some what are some tips around that? Just straight, yeah, I think all nonverbal communication tips. Yeah, I think a few different things as well. So, you know, it depends on the gender as well. Mm-hmm. So be cognizant of that in terms of not smiling or smiling mm-hmm. too much, right? So mm-hmm. take more of a neutral stance, literally just a square stance where you're, you may not necessarily be crossing your arms, right. which is typically the first thing that people can notice in terms of how closed off you are. Mm-hmm. Sure, it could be cold. There could be air conditioning right. on, but yeah. you really, really want to just put your arms Mm -hmm. Uh, at your waist in -hmm. a very neutral position and literally stand with someone like square, square Mm -hmm. on. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're not crossing your arms. Exactly. You're not literally like halfway out the room with half of your body turning, turning to that other person. Right. Exactly. Uh, Another thing is, is literally, uh, you know, one way to break the ice is an occasional smile. And it's not, so I'm not saying excessive smile, but Mm -hmm. literally just one way to connect with someone in Mm. which you're recognizing that person's presence and that you're valuing Mm. that person's presence. Mm. Uh, I think another thing is sometimes when when things get serious, we get very, very intense. And sometimes that intense, uh, sometimes it actually shows up as intensity as well. Mm -hmm. Right. So just softening literally mm-hmm. the intensity and just being as neutral as possible, I think is yeah, the key. Yeah, that's a good tip for sure. Yeah. One, you can really, one, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. 
Yeah, so just one big thing, too, Mm -hmm. is just living in this mobile place where Mm -hmm. we're always on Slack or Messenger or or any type of uh, communication mode that may not even include email. That's probably the bulk of, of how we communicate. And if you think about what communication is, I'm 93% of nonverbal. So mm-hmm. really, really, even if you just remove yourself from sending an email response and perhaps just, you know, get up and walk maybe 20 feet right. to the person that you were sending an email, that might actually send a, a much more different and welcoming signal than, than a, sure. something that could not necessarily meet, meet the eye. Right, and it's so true how email can be misconstrued because of the perceived tone in an email versus, like you said, getting up and having a conversation about something that may be a little more complex to provide a little more nuanced perspective, I think, is really helpful. Um, What about, though, because you raise a good point, with respect to Slack and those various forms of communication, do you have any tips for that, like using certain emojis or things to kind of infuse a little bit more of an open, friendly tone? Um, any any advice in that realm? I think it's important for you to know your audience. Mm-hmm. Good point. And so that that is most important. And right. to to also recognize how that technology is used um, mm-hmm. culturally in your workplace. Right. Good point. So it could be very, very different at each company and each place. And I, I mm-hmm. would actually say for you to identify the influencers, mm-hmm. the influencers as in people in your workplace uh, that are well-respected and that right. have a voice. And really mm-hmm. observe what makes them well-respected and what makes them have a voice. Mm-hmm. So, for example... Yeah. Uh, during my time at Facebook, uh, oftentimes influencers and leaders would actually post uh, really, really heartfelt and authentic and real and raw mm-hmm. stories mm-hmm. about about their lives that they may not have otherwise done uh, in, in any other setting. And so really, really being able to identify how people connect and what what matters most culturally is, is key and is yeah. important. Yeah, and then also, yeah, going back to your audience, right? So, are we communicating amongst millennials? Are we communicating with with Gen Xers or Boomers? Mm-hmm. And if so, being able to meet them in a way that that is optimal for for your connection. So, just right. really understanding and knowing your audience. Yeah, that's that's really valuable. Um, with respect to, so understanding your audience, obviously really important, um, but turning the table a little bit or deviating a little bit from that, um, authenticity is sort of a, a key word that's being used a lot these days in intention. Um, what, in your opinion, how do those inform or help, you know, being authentic, being well-intentioned in the workplace, um, and why are they so critical in um, kind of being self-aware and, and you know, emotionally intelligent, so, so to speak, in the workplace? Yeah, I think that authenticity is, is really at the core of it, being true to yourself mm-hmm. and, and being real to your values and, and who you are and what makes you very unique into the mm-hmm. workplace. So for you to be able to identify your gifts, 
And again, going yeah. back to our strengths, our limitations, what sets us apart is so important. Mm-hmm. Uh, setting intention is also very important as well. And literally, it's how do I want to show up in a way that demonstrates and actually showcases who I am? Mm-hmm. So in one of my workshops around personal branding and being able to lead authentically, one of the biggest questions is, well, this sounds kind of, it sounds artificial. It sounds mm-hmm. as if I have an ulterior motive or I'm trying to let, like, let people think that I'm one way. And the reality is it's not. It's super mm-hmm. important for you to be able to promote who you are because right. no one else will be able to see your intention. What people sure. will see is the impact of your intentions. But if you're mm-hmm. not self-aware of mm-hmm. how you actually convey that, and communicate that, how are people ever going to see a glimmer and a glimpse of your authentic self? Mm, that's powerful. Yeah, totally. Um, no, that's, that's, that's really helpful. Um, yeah, so you, in some of the seminars I've, I've been to that you've led, you talk a lot about self-care and how important it is to show up to others. You're, you're a mom of two, um, you know, have this consulting practice, married, um, and whatnot, how do you practice self-care so that you can be fully present in those moments, you know, at home, with your clients, kind of with yourself? Um, what are what are some methods of self-care that you partake in? Yeah, so one thing I, I really wanted to call out is it's, con- it's a continuous work in progress for me, and it's something that I'm still experimenting with. So as an ambivert, so, mm-hmm. borderline introvert, actually right. more of an introvert. Yeah, <laughs> interesting. I actually, yeah, I need a recharge on my own. Right. You know, when when you're when you're up in front of people, oh my god, when you're totally. out, yeah. yeah, when you're going, 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 when you're managing your own company while managing kids and and a marriage, it's it's so it's taxing, it's and sure. I need some personal space to recharge. So mm-hmm. one way that I do it uh, is is creating a very small ritual mm-hmm. that I know that I can do and practice every day. And if I can't do it every day, I try when I can. Mm-hmm. And it starts with the sitting exercise that I had mentioned mm-hmm. earlier. So mm-hmm. I think ideally it would be nice to sit up to half an hour, but in reality that, that may not be the case. So whenever mm-hmm. I can, I take between 5 and 15 minutes to either sit at the edge of a seat, sit at the edge of my bed in full silence and mm. quiet. Mm. And it's hard because I'm sure many people can relate. Our minds are just always wandering or off to the next thing or what we so didn't true. do or what needs to happen. Right. That it's just continuously on and we need to mm-hmm. slow down our mind. I think the ultimate irony is that, and the gift is that by actually slowing down, you actually can create capacity to do so much more. So true. So true. And and that's something that I'm still working on. So it's my sitting mm-hmm. exercise. Uh, yeah. For me, I really, really appreciate nature. Mm-hmm. And uh, being in this concrete jungle of San Francisco, I, I don't necessarily get that much nature time. Yeah. So my way of, of um, getting to nature is, is literally just walking outside into my backyard. Mm-hmm. And I have a little shoebox of a backyard that I've been able to nurture and, and garden mm-hmm. uh, and and I've been lucky enough to literally just place my hand in soil or just like mm-hmm. place my feet on the ground and 
even if you don't have soil, even though you don't have the ground, I think what it is is just to be outside and just to be able to feel the sunshine on your face so and feel air and just be able to stay connected mm-hmm. to the earth. So um, working out is important. So mm-hmm. for me, I like to just go on little jogs. Jogs yeah. only require running shoes. And so right. you can go any time of the day, during a lunch break, before work, after work, if that means a 10-minute jog, if that means a one-hour jog, it's my way to decompress and just, just sure. have some quiet time, even yeah. if it's just for a little glimmer of time. Right, right. Yeah, those are all great, for sure. The sitting ritual is something I'm going to definitely try. And it is true, so true, your point about when you finally slow down is when, at least for me, it's when I get all these, like, creative ideas. As soon as I slow it all down, it's when the best ideas come to me. Um, whether it's in the shower or just putting my phone in the other room or taking a day off from work, all of it, it's like I get just get a flood of ideas. So I think it's so true that with the quiet really comes so much more capacity for energy and creativity and all of that. It's really powerful. Um, Absolutely. I have one more thing to also share as well. Yeah. And I think this is the most paramount of of all of them. Mm. And Um, what I try to do is a digital detox. Mm. So yeah. what that really means to me is, sure, I, I do recognize, well, what if something happens to my kids? I need I need right. my phone. Mm. So just knowing that you know, I, I still can be connected via mobile, like in terms mm. of just calling in and, and calling right. out, what yeah. I try to do is just take myself off of social media for mm-hmm. a weekend. Yep. Uh, and it is so cleansing for the soul in yeah. terms of really being able to slow down, just realizing how much time you actually save from not having to check an app and just so to experience the fear of missing out, but actually right. indulge yourself in the, in, in, in the present. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's probably one of the greatest things that you can do. And you know, baby steps, it could be taking a digital detox for half a day, maybe right. bumping it up to one day, bumping mm-hmm. it up to a regular weekend, and seeing what you can do during that time to actually connect with people So true. Uh, as yeah. opposed to, to the screen. Yeah, so true. That's a good reminder. I feel like I'm due for a digital detox. I did one a few months ago, and it was, like, the best thing I could have done, and I feel like I'm, I'm needing another one. Um, do you have any particular? I know you had mentioned some app in one of one of maybe our, our last seminar, um, but do you know of any particular apps that just help you sort of prevent prevent getting onto social media? Any, any tips for technology that allows us to detox from technology? Sure. So one app that I that I enjoy working with is is the Grokker app. The Grokker, and app, that's what it was. Yeah, I, I enjoy that because uh, there's there's a lot of different things that that's there, especially around workouts, around self care, around meditation, mm-hmm. and just mm-hmm. in general like health and, and wellness. Mm-hmm. And it's integration into your calendar, so mm-hmm. there are reminders that you get in terms of uh, just being able to to do the exercises and practices that are there. Mm-hmm. So it's ge- gentle nudges with the use of technology and just with the convenience of accessibility. Hmm. Cool. That's neat. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to check that one out. Um, awesome, Minji. Well, do you have anything else to add? This has been a great conversation. I just wanted to give you a chance. If you 
had any other tips, advice, comments in this area um, to share beyond what we talked about? Yeah, I think the most important thing for us to be at our best, it's important for us to also think about our whole self. Mm-hmm, and so sure. when, whenever we think about uh, my next move or what's not working or what, what I can do to be better, oftentimes mm-hmm. we're, we're always in our head and we're oh, always so thinking true. about truth teachery. Mm-hmm. And my, my urge is for us to think about our whole self and right. the importance of what our heart feels and mm-hmm. the importance of, of how we're actually living our lives through our body right. and, and through our, our behaviors. Mm-hmm. So if anything, to really, really bring awareness uh, down from our heads and into our whole mm. selves mm. in order for us to be at our best. Yeah, so true. That's great. Yeah, it really is looking at our holistic being versus just our career self or our home self or our parent self or, you know, any of it. It really is like how we show up in the world is, is our whole being. Um, so, yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks so much, Minji. It's been great chatting with you. Um, and, yeah, looking forward to furthering the conversation and hopefully um, attending more of your seminars in the future. Thank you so much, Sarah. Yeah. Thanks, Minji. Have a great weekend. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a comment and be sure to check us out on social media, on Instagram at Interrelate Podcasts, on Facebook and Twitter, and head over to our website at interrelatepodcast.com. See you next week.